You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everyone, and welcome to the Strong Towns Podcast. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had as part of our ongoing focus on local food this month. You can see all our food-related content at strongtowns.org slash food. So now on to our podcast. Today's guest is Alfonso Morales. He's a professor of urban and regional planning at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He studies food systems, public marketplaces, and street vendors, and the role that they play in economic development. He's also the author of several books and more than 30 articles and book chapters. So here's my conversation with Alfonso. So you study markets and food, but you're also a professor of urban planning uh, at Madison. How do those fields intersect for you? They enable me to work with people as people, as the activities people have produce the need for those intersections. Let, let me put it this way. They intersect for me intellectually because food production and marketing imply a variety of activities and regulatory structures, and they interact for me in terms of supporting people in identifying and achieving their goals. So whenever I work with community members and I hear them talk about their goals, then my intellectual agenda comes into relationship with their agenda, and I can help them refine their goals or or go straight to work towards their goals based on my sort of intellectual understanding of things. What got you interested in studying markets? And like, what have you specifically focused on in those studies? Yeah, wow. So my dissertation research was at Chicago's Maxwell Street Market in the late 80s and early 90s. And so I became a street vendor in order to learn about the market and learn about the vendors at the market. What were you selling? The first 12 or 14 months, I sold used things from the Department of Sociology at Northwestern University. And then for about 10 months, almost a year, uh, I sold new plumbing supplies, bathroom accessories that were quote-unquote buybacks. I learned how to do this through various relationships I created with people so that I would learn how it was that vendors acquired their merchandise. So I, I basically became a vendor in order to emulate all aspects of their activities. How do you see the use of markets around the world differing from the prevalence and use of markets in America? Because it seems like, I mean, I haven't traveled a whole lot of places, but the few you know other countries that I've been to, they'll have like a market going on every single day. And that's like a primary place to get food and wares. Here, you know, you'd be lucky to find a market that happens twice a week in most American towns, it seems like. That's right. And so markets around the world, including in the U.S., historically and in the contemporary scene, can all be thought of as along a gradient. In other words, uh, over time, they just haven't popped in and out of the world. They, they occur more or less frequently. Their occurrence is at the intersection of social, 
and economic and political forces. The social forces right, have to do with status and prestige. Markets historically grew up when kings and queens wanted goods from other parts of the world but couldn't get them. And so they developed trade routes and markets where they suspended local laws in order to allow, quote-unquote, the other into their space. So markets are always have always been about incorporating the other, allowing, permitting interaction across uh, social difference. Now, another part, of course, is that markets have been economically important. So trade and markets have, from you know, time immemorial, been essential to people's provisioning activities, to either consumers purchasing day-to-day goods or uh, people having businesses to supply those goods, uh, including farms or other sorts of businesses. So they've always had this economic role. And only recently have we become re-engaged in the particular importance of local and regional economic activity. You know, for about 70 years, markets uh, were uh, emblematic of other activity that just sort of disappeared with modern, large-scale, industrial, organizational, agricultural activities. However, over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, particularly in 1969 in Berkeley, California, 1972 here in Madison, Wisconsin, people said, I want a farmer's market. And so that was at the very beginning of a return to local and regional interest in food systems and a return to a smaller scale economic activities. So economically, markets are emblematic of a, of a larger interest in regional food. And some of my work actually is on that subject of the economic value added of local economies. And then the third thing is politics, because uh, a long time ago, right, historically, kings and queens made the rules. But in our contemporary scene, governments typically make the rules, uh, with the exception, either governments or society makes the rules. But either way, the rules are made. The rules are made. In the industrialized or developed or, or uh, West, you might say, governments make rules about who's permitted to do what and where. So I've written a lot about the regulation of urban agriculture, farmers markets and marketplaces and street vendors and safe and healthy food and this whole set of things. So in in other parts of the world, uh, a market might be open every day of the week, but due to regulation and law, as well as slowly changing habits and customs, like you said, you might only find a market in the United States a couple of times a week in a large city or something like that. But that is changing quite a bit because here in Dane County, Wisconsin, for instance, that Madison's in, there are 37 farmer's markets. There are at least three markets operating in the county every day of the week, every day of the week. So, and of course, that's changing the 37 market farmer's markets in central city of Chicago. There are 236 farmer's markets in the LA basin, Los Angeles basin. So more and more, you're seeing habits and customs changing and expectations changing. And so rules and regulations having to change to accommodate these new demands. Are those regulations changing or is it still pretty hard? Okay. If they're changing, there's variation around the country. 
I've got a number of articles on this question, and I can share them with you. Yeah, please do. What do you see as the main keys to having a successful market? Probably the, the main thing is that the participants have a process orientation. That is probably the main thing to success. Because if they don't have a process orientation, they're going to get impatient or they're going to have the wrong, emphasize the wrong thing at the wrong time. And a process orientation can imply many people who participate and intersecting activities that help do the process of creating a market, right? So you care about the producers or the artisans who sell there. You care about the government. You care about the clients. You care about the sponsors. So a process orientation, I think, is is very, very important in a successful market. So I just saw an article on the UW-Madison website about some of your work using data to analyze the success of different markets. Is that a common thing? Are a lot of markets, you know, looking rigorously at their data and thinking about how that's going to affect their future decisions? Or is that kind of rare? Do people have the tools to even do that? Right. It is kind of rare, but it is increasingly important, which is why I thought and won support from the USDA to create mifimarkets.org, mifimarkets.org, which is uh, a webpage that is an entree for market managers and their sponsors and supporters to understand about data collection and to help them at a very low cost because it's a fee for service of the University of Wisconsin. You know, we can't profit from it. We can only charge what it costs. And so this is enabling markets around the country to collect data, which makes them better able to communicate their various benefits. And when they're able to communicate those benefits, they find more supporters. A quick example of this is the market that we worked with. We worked with a number of markets in, in seven states. We worked with 14 markets in seven states. Uh, but the market in Hernando, Mississippi, they used data that we enabled them to collect and systematize to write a grant application for $50,000 that they won to support their senior citizens' access to their farmer's market. So it was a transportation grant, not a market grant. It was a transportation grant. And it was uh, to support senior citizens. But they're they're doing, at that market and markets that we've worked with around the country, they're doing a variety of fascinating things with data. Now, this isn't to say everybody needs to collect data. I do not believe that. But knowing something about what you're up to can help you make better decisions. Not that all decisions have to be completely data-driven. No, you know, if the weather's bad, you respond to the weather. If you've got a really important gut feeling about something, well, you know, uh, or if the data is inconclusive, well, you know, you have to make your best guess. And of course, you know, politics and other sorts of things uh, become important. So I'm not going to just bang the academic drum and say data, data, data. No, you know, I'm sensitive to context and I am sensitive to process. I believe very firmly that managers can, market managers and their partners can benefit from data, but the data doesn't have to drive them. They determine how they want to operate. 
So one of the questions that we've been exploring at Strong Towns is whether it's possible for any town in the United States to live completely off of local food. I know nobody really does, but hypothetically, would it be possible? And most of the people that I've talked to say probably not, unless a lot of things change. Do you think that there's untapped potential in markets to help connect people to more local food? Absolutely. Yes, there is. However, we have to understand and remember that markets are only one part of the retail question. So there is untapped potential there, but not everybody wants to go to markets. Not everybody wants to sell at markets. The way I think of this as an ecology, and a rich ecology has a number of different things going on, a number of different species are populating the ecology. And in some cases, right, um, they pull against each other. But oftentimes, what is assumed to be conflict is actually conducive to better opportunities for everybody. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes, businesses near farmers or other kinds of markets say, oh, you know, that market is taking away my business. But instead, research is showing that when there's more activity, there's actually more business for everybody. Then your broader question, right? Can local urban ag or regional ag support an entire city? Well, you know, I'm not going to say no yet because uh, we haven't, nobody's really tried, right? Nobody's really tried for 100 plus years. While nobody has tried over the last 100 years, in our contemporary scene, there are many, many more ways of producing and distributing food than we had available 100 years ago. So as those business models and those regulatory authorities begin to craft organizations and rules that promote food production and regional food systems, then we will see just how self-sufficient a place can be. But of course, having said that, this is not to say that a huge external shock to this system, you know, a big tornado or some other thing won't really disrupt things. But of course, People worry about those sorts of disruptions nationally. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of research and concern about global climate change and other, you know, uh, external shocks to our larger food system. So I would say that to this question of can market support and what is the role of markets in the larger ecology of a regional food system? Uh, but I would also say I cannot imagine a regional food system that's going to be completely sustainable. The question is going to self-sustain. And the reason why is because there's always going to be changing the cultures, social practices, new populations. People like different stuff. Not everybody, but people do, you know, and that's going to drive migration. It's going to drive change. And so self-sufficiency, maybe people will have that as a goal. I would have as a better goal, you know, something that's less vulnerable to external shocks or uh, more resilient in the face of difficulties and problems? Or how about, you know, as some people are talking about, more happy, more diverse, you know, more interest in the variety. of in Variety is the spice of life, as the saying goes. That's the other thing I would say to that question. 
So I wanted to ask you about two markets in our area, since we're both probably familiar with these markets. Um, the Madison Farmer's Market, which you mentioned earlier. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it's one of the best in the country, maybe one of the best in the world. Do you agree with that? And what do you think makes it so successful? So there is a difference between the best and the biggest. The Dane County Farmer's Market is the largest producer-only farmer's market that I know of in the United States. Now, uh, it is very constrained. Only local food, unprocessed largely, with, the, with some few exceptions, is sold at the market. It has to be from, uh, I think, 120 miles by state statute. So it is regulated, and it is limited in what it offers. But it's pretty amazing, having said that. It's huge and very busy, and people make, you know, it's a, it's a substantial driver. It's an economic driver, right? Is it the best? Well, you know, uh, beauty, as they say, is in the eye of the beholder. The best of these things is largely associated with the goals people have. The Dane County Farmers Market was founded about 45 years ago in order to celebrate the return of local food. You know, this being a hippie town like Berkeley, uh, these were the first towns that really got back into big farmers markets. It isn't that they had disappeared completely. No, they hadn't disappeared completely. But they were no longer playing the role that they played prior to, say, 1929, 1930. The first big retail grocery stores were coming online. Refrigeration technology, transportation changes were enabling large-scale, what we think of today as conventional or industrial agriculture and large-scale retail. I'm a big fan of uh, the Dane County Farmers Market, but it's only one of, like I said, 36 or 37 markets in Dane County. And uh, it's a tourist attraction like crazy. Yeah, but that's for sure. if I'm going to shop for groceries, there's two markets within a mile of my house oh, on different cool. days of the week. Yeah. So I, you know, I go to those typically. Yeah. The other market that I wanted to ask you about is the Milwaukee Public Market, um, which is in my town. I mean, that's pretty different. It's indoor. It doesn't have the same constraints about, you know, local food only, and it has a lot of prepared foods. Were you around to kind of watch that get started, and what do you think about the success of that market? Yes, I was around to see it started. I've taken students to visit the market. I've thought about the market. I do not know their criteria for success. So I can't speak to that. But I can tell you that the way that the market is designed is not super friendly to pedestrian traffic. You know, I know that the way that the interior of the market is, at least the last time I was there, a lot of the public spaces require you to go from the ground floor to the second floor. There's a separation of activities, which can work, but there's not an integration of activities, which is often better, which is often better. So uh, now these things are somewhat subjective judgments, but I think a lot of people would agree. I've, I've actually responded to this question in public lectures I've given, and found some people don't care about any of this, but it's because they, use, they have a particular purpose for their market or a particular way of getting there or whatever the case may be. But other people say, yeah, you know, it's not a friendly, you know, it's not a very inviting exterior. There's not the sort of thing that um, characterizes, that might characterize public markets elsewhere. 
So at Detroit's Eastern Market, there's uh, the interior. Uh, it's a big multi market. It's a much bigger facility. Okay, the two don't compare in lots of ways, but but there are many types of spaces at the Detroit Market that make for more users and a more diverse set of users. Before we close, I just wanted to ask you, what research are you working on right now related to markets or not? Um, yeah, no, we've got lots of work on markets right now. MIFI markets, MIFI markets, metric, it stands for Metrics and Indicators for Impact, markets.org, is a tool that I'm working with, the main federation of farmers markets and a Wisconsin organization, REAP, as well as some individual contracts and uh, users are preparing to, we're gearing up for the holiday season. There may be a number of markets around the country that are going to be operating either in the southern United States for many markets in the wintertime is big in the southern U.S., right? So, Or you so get those that, holiday markets too. Um, right, holidays, exactly. Mm-hmm. So markets that want to start tracking their data, uh, we're, we're gearing up to support them. And, of course, we're going to have interesting data from the main project, from the main Federation of Farmers Markets and from uh, REAP here locally. And the purpose of this, of course, is to inform USDA, Ag Marketing Service especially, on farmers market activity. We do not have good national data on farmers markets. I'm not saying we're going to have good national data this winter because we won't. But over the course of the next five, six, seven years, I think that we will be able to be able to actually say things about markets around the country or in particular states or cities based on that work. So I just had a book come out, Cities of Farmers, which may be of interest to people, University of Iowa Press, which is um, case studies from around the country about the history and regulation and social, cultural, and health aspects of urban food systems. I'm, I'm working a lot with uh, University of Wisconsin Hospital and hospitals in Wisconsin to create uh, a MiFi toolkit for hospitals interested in changing their food system. And there's significant work. Gunderson Lutheran here in this state ha- is a leader in this field. Ten years at least, 12 years at least, Gunderson Lutheran has been localizing its food system. But but this is growing, and so I'm working with folks at the UW Hospital and understanding uh, the variety of things that change in their food system, from the roles people play and the labor that's needed and the production of food that's needed and the contracts b- between the hospital and food system providers and the economic impact of that work. So, and I guess I would say that that, that also, I'm, uh, I've got a, and I think it'll be the first paper of its kind that I'm aware of, uh, 12 years of data from one farmer's market. It's the first sort of work looking at longitudinal data, which is what MIFI wants to do for farmer's market. And it's data from the Williamsburg, Virginia farmer's market. And uh, totally, they did $1.6 million in 40 vendors last year at that market. It's a substantial part of that community. I mean, there's a couple of other things. I'm co-editing a book on Latino entrepreneurship. I think the other markets-related thing that I think is important is I am in the middle of a book manuscript on a pattern book for marketplaces, right? Pattern books, you know what a pattern book is, right? Along the lines of the pattern language? 
Uh, sort of. Okay. So a hundred years ago, architects, pattern books were very uh, familiar to architects who used them to develop diversity within the unity of a neighborhood. So the way that if you walk, if you drive down neighborhoods in Milwaukee or any city, you'll see some variation in what the houses look like, but sort of a common pattern. That common pattern is given by a pattern book. And so I want market managers to, to have a book that stimulates their imagination of about their market, what their market can look like, yeah, what it can look like, how it can be organized, what can be done there, uh, its relationships with uh, its community and government as well as community organizations, how the market might be organized, and I think those, and then actual uh, drawings of the way markets are organized around the country. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And this is a fascinating subject. I will definitely be checking out your books. And you sound like you're quite busy. Yes. Oh, I am. And I love it. I have a great job. I love my work. And you teach on top of all of that stuff you just listed, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. But but I often teach about that stuff and I have students involved in uh, learning about institutional food systems by participating in the research on the hospital. They learn about uh, community-driven food systems by by participating in the book, on, the patent book on marketplaces or working with the uh, farmer's markets who are associated with MiFi, with the MiFi market project. So yes, I, I teach, but I don't teach uh, strictly from textbooks. <laughs> I, I try and relate students' goals to broader learning goals that incorporate both intellectual and practical that they can use. Great. Well, I won't take any more of your time, but I, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. And this has been a fascinating conversation. Well, you are welcome, Rachel. It's been my pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Take care. You bet. Do the same. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.